guys, welcome back to Revive School. It's been a full week. Uh, you know, we've gone through, we finished up 1 Thessalonians, which talks about the coming Lord. Now here we have it up on the, on the little rack over here. Then we talked about 2 Thessalonians, which we talked about the faithful Lord coming. All of these point to the rapture somewhere in this. And does it happen in, you know, the pre-trib, the mid-trib, or the post-trib? The point is, is we've got to get ready regardless. And, uh, and now we're jumping into another book, Kevin, another letter, another epistle, and we still have the expert in the house, Max. Max, welcome from Wausau, Wisconsin. Is this what you thought it was going to be like, Max? It's totally different. This is great. Really? Yeah. So you thought it was going to suck? No, I just thought it was going to be, I don't know. Boring? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> it's way better. All right, so here we go. This is what happens when you go through the word this long, this often. Uh, we are going to be talking about Timothy. First Timothy, it's the first of two letters that Paul writes to his, well, I think scripture would say his beloved son, Timothy. You know, Timothy actually means one who honors God. Uh, you know, he received his name from his mom, Eunice. So he had this interesting heritage. Timothy grew up under his mom, Eunice, his grandmother, Lois. They were both devout Jews who became believers in Christ. So if you go to 2 Timothy 1, 5, you just have a, a frame of reference. So the reality is, is if they're devout Jews, Scripture says in 2 Timothy 1, 5, clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I am convinced is in you also. Look, I don't know how else to say this. Uh, when you grow up in a godly home, it sure makes it a lot easier to follow Christ. It's not the only way, but I'm telling you, if you don't grow up in a home that believes in Yeshua, in Jesus, like, it's harder. Kevin, I mean, what, what kind of environment did you grow up? Did you grow up in a believing home? Yeah, I did grow up in a believing home. Why does he laugh? Rich, what's so Because I was waiting for you to pick on me again. Like, hey, let's just call out some more sin. Like, that's what I was waiting Jeez. on. I was like... So rich, so rich, did you grow up in a believing home? No, I didn't, Kyle. Thank you. <laughs> I feel so loved. Max, let's go to you. Uh, you know, we didn't really practice, but, you know, we believed in Jesus, but we didn't practice. Okay. Uh, Drew? It's pretty much the opposite of rich for a believing home. Love the Lord. So. Rich? Let's just, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't hear you with your whining. What did you say? I'm out. <laughs> All I'm just saying is, like, it's a lot easier when you grow up in an environment where your grandmother or your mother, you know, um, you know, teach you the Word of God. Man, I'm filtering so much right now. Um, anyway, Rich and all, did you not, Rich, at all? No, Kyle, thanks again. <laughs> no, no, seriously, no, I did not, no. Uh, so, I mean, besides, obviously, your wife now, Shelly, was the one who introduced Christ to you. Yeah, she did. She has a long heritage of uh, growing up in a, a long line of believers. So, yeah. And I just think it's crazy. It, it's, it's really unbelievable because when you look at Timothy, his father was a Greek in Acts 16, 1. Uh, maybe he even died before Paul met Timothy. We don't know. But, uh, you know, obviously, he probably didn't have that much of an influence uh, it says in Acts 16, 1, Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek, probably refers to his father not believing. 
right? I mean, I can't say that 100%, but when it references his mom as a believing and his father as not. So just the, 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 the dynamics of being under somebody who believes and under somebody who doesn't. It's, it's unbelievable, the difference. And I think we see that, you guys, all the time when uh, you're out sharing the gospel on the streets and neighborhoods of people that did not grow in this. They're like, I mean, how many times have you ever heard people like, I've never heard this before in my life. I mean, even in the Middle East, Rich, when we're interacting with people, uh, even in an area called, uh, well, in certain areas, I think it's absolutely mind-blowing to me when they're like, I've, I've just never heard this before. Maybe it's because they grew up in a Muslim background. Maybe they grew up in a Jewish background, and you know, rightfully so. But the point is, is that when you don't grow up in a Christian environment, man, it's unbelievable. So Timothy has a legacy. Now, Timothy, Kevin, is in Acts 16, 1 through 3, he talks about Timothy is from Lystra. Lystra, and this is all from John MacArthur, by the way. John MacArthur does an incredible job of always breaking down what I would say the letters, the epistles, the books of the Bible. Lystra is a city in the Roman province of Galatia, which is modern Turkey. So, Kevin, can you go back to that map? I'm pretty sure we still have it on there. And there's a really good chance... Uh, and we know this first. Let me go back here. So in Lystra, Kevin, where are we at here? So right here. So Timothy would be from this area, correct? Mm-hmm. So when Paul in Acts 16, 1 says he went from Derby to Lystra, while there was a disciple named Timothy, son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. If you go to, uh, I want to go to one reference here. In 1-2, I'm back in 1 Timothy 1-2, it says, To Timothy, my true son in the faith, most people would say because he wrote my true son in the faith, he probably led him to the Lord. Okay, we can't say that for sure because we don't know, maybe his mom did, maybe his grandmother did, but when it says my true son in the faith, there's a really good chance he led Timothy to the Lord during his ministry in Lystra on the first missionary journey. So now this is, Kevin, on our second, this actually is our third missionary journey that we have here. But possibly in Acts 14, Uh, on his first missionary journey, it could have taken place. Then he revisited Timothy on the second missionary journey, and then he asked him to accompany him. So in that Acts 16, that's the second missionary journey. So second time around, first time he saw something in Timothy, okay, in Acts 14. He comes back around, and he's like, man, there's a lot of potential there. Uh, Maybe I want to keep pouring into him. So he actually asked him to accompany him on this journey. The reality is in 1 Timothy 4.12, in our book that we're studying this week, in 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, no one should despise your youth. So realistically, Timothy is probably in his late teens, early 20s. Okay, most theologians would say late teens, early 20s, but I love this verse. This is a classic youth group verse, is it not? <laughs> no one should despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example. Isn't that cool? Even as a young person, be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So Timothy obviously clearly fits this bill, and he has a reputation for godliness. Not only does he speak well in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity, but he also has, in Acts 16 too, a reputation for godliness. So here's what I want to do, Kevin. If you'll go back to uh, this journey will work. Uh, In Acts 17, what you're going to begin to see is that Timothy serves as a co-laborer in Berea. Remember we walked through this process? Then he also says he ended up coming to Athens. Berea, and then Timothy ended up going to Corinth. And then eventually, which it's not on the map, would be, oh yeah it is. Eventually then in Acts 20 is Jerusalem. Timothy actually made his way to Jerusalem. I mean, this guy traveled with Paul everywhere. 
And the point is, is that Paul is constantly modeling. Timothy is the guy that can come in and fill in for me. How do we know? Because he was sent to churches. Uh, in fact, you go to Kevin, 1 Corinthians 4, 17. Timothy was even sent to churches as a representative. So when Paul couldn't come, he sent Timothy. This is why Corinthians, this is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is the dearly loved, the faithful son in the Lord. He's going to remind you about my ways in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy is coming in as an ambassador, not only for the Lord, but he's filling in for me. Like what an awesome example of how discipleship works. Well, here's what's crazy is, is where, where does Paul get this model? Because Jesus did that. Jesus served as the mediator uh, on our behalf. He served as a mediator between God and us. And so that's a simple phrase that we have, simple word that we have for the book of Timothy. First Timothy, Jesus serves as our mediator. Kevin, if you go to First uh, Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, a man, Christ Jesus, verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Jesus was constantly intervening on our behalf before the Father. He serves as a mediator. You know, this is a, maybe a stretch, but think about it this way. When Paul can't come, guess what? Timothy serves as a spokesman. He serves as the mediator between Timothy and the church. That's why I love this illustration, is that as Christ is a mediator, Timothy really does the same for Paul. It's a constant example of discipleship. It even got to the point, we're going to get to this today, that he even serves as um, in Ephesus. Timothy serves as a pastor. I mean, you're going to see this in verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, I'm in second, uh, 1 Timothy 1, three. As I urged you, Timothy, when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach other doctrine. Timothy, for a season, became a pastor. He became a pastor of a church to Ephesus. And at some point, if you go to Hebrews 13, 23, so he serves as a mediator, he serves as an apostle, he serves as a teacher. In this season, he served as a pastor to Ephesus. And then in the last illustration, Hebrews 13, 23, be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon enough, he'll be with me when I see you. At some point, we don't know when he was imprisoned and released uh, from a jail. This is all we know as far as his imprisonment. Timothy truly modeled the life of Paul. Imitate me, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, as I imitate Christ. I think Timothy is an incredible example of imitating Paul as Paul imitates Christ. What does Christ do? He serves as the mediator. He serves as the in-between between the Father and us. It's a cool picture of Timothy. What a, what a, what a role to play. Can you imagine filling in for, oh, Paul's not here. We got Timothy. <laughs> You know, bummer, let down, not going to this service. Like that's the mentality, right? So kind of let's, let's kind of walk through uh, just practicality. Remember when we walk through the beginning stages of it, a letter or an epistle, uh, we know that Paul wrote this. I mean, he says in, for, in 1 Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he identifies who he is, right? And who he's writing to. But there are critics that question that Paul wrote First and Second Timothy and Titus. Uh, and, and here's here's why people have a hard time when you research to find the historical references. They don't harmonize with the chemistry of Paul's life in Acts. 
Like, I can't find First Timothy illustrations in the book of Acts. And the reason is, is they don't fit because they happened after the close of the book of Acts, which ends with Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. So the timing isn't going to work. But again, when you look for an issue, you're going to go with what you can find. Another issue, maybe Paul didn't write this, uh, and I'm not going to give all of them here on this, is that the church structure was well too developed for Paul's day. So like when Paul left in referencing Ephesians, right? This is what we're going to be talking about. The church structure was well too developed. It seemed second century. Like it seemed too far along uh, down the road. Well, the, the funny part about this is that it was very consistent with what was established by Paul in Acts 14 and in uh, Philippians. And I think what happens is whenever you look at a context, it, you can find something wrong all the time if you just hang out there long enough. But I'm telling you, there are people that argue these type of things when you study the word of God. The only one reason I wanted to bring this up is that sometimes when you read the word, you never look at the critical uh, components. There are out, they're out there. I don't ever want to be the teacher that says there aren't critical uh, evaluations of this. This would be one of them. People question that Paul wrote first and second Timothy. Uh, kind of an interesting thought, but... Uh, the, the one that's classic to me is, is that in First Timothy, it doesn't contain the same great themes of Paul's theology in the other writings. Does he have like a glossary of like Paul's great themes, you know, like they have to fit, you know, and I'm kind of serious, except the problem is, is that we still talks about scripture. He still talks about salvation. He still talks about election. He still talks about the deity of Christ. I think he's okay. But again, the reason I bring this up is, is that people will look at these different angles. And I would just challenge you not to get involved in apologetics because that's never my gifting. People can, and you can interact with philosophers. I just, I just think sometimes it's healthy to know what are other critics saying. That's all. And in seminary, that's what they teach you. Uh, and sometimes it's kind of overwhelming, so you want to stay on the truth. But I do want to bring up that there are some issues that people have that Paul wrote this. Now, I will tell you this. I believe Paul wrote 1 Timothy. <laughs> I believe Paul wrote Titus shortly after his release from his first Roman imprisonment in AD 62 and 64. He wrote 2 Timothy from prison during the second Roman imprisonment shortly before his death in AD 66 and 67. All right, so here you have just kind of a, a bigger picture. Uh, man, I kind of want to... Just go on with our teaching here today. So let's do that. I've got a lot of background, a lot of historical stuff in the theme. I, I will tell you one of the theme verses, which I don't rarely do this. Uh, now, let me do this. I think this is important with Ephesus. Okay, so think about it this way. After Paul was left, after Paul left, was released from his first Roman imprisonment, okay, in Acts 28, 30, right? Where he's preaching with boldness without hindrances. Like that's the last of the last in Acts 28. Paul revisited several of the cities which he ministered, including Ephesus. So eventually, Paul, after being released, came back to Ephesus, okay, which we don't have like the journeys there. He left Timothy in Ephesus. So when he's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he's writing because Timothy is in the, in the Ephesians church. And he clearly says, here's four major issues that I have with the Ephesian church. So he writes about these things in this letter, you guys. He writes about false doctrine. He writes about the disorder in worship. He writes about the need for qualified leaders in Ephesus. And then he says, hey, look, guys, people have issues in Ephesus with materialism. 
So after he revisits Ephesus, after the first Roman imprisonment, he's telling Pastor Timothy, hey, here are the issues that I see. As he's doing this, you got to understand something. He wrote Timothy from the Macedonia area. He leaves Pastor Timothy in Ephesus. He writes Timothy this letter to help him take on the task of the church in ministering to them. It's a lot of timeline there. But again, you have to understand, Paul's already been there. Timothy's already been there. Now he leaves Timothy in Ephesus while Paul goes to Macedonia. In all of this, he wants to make sure they understand the mediator, who Christ is in all of this. Kevin, that's a lot of background. You got anything else you want to fill in the gaps or any questions? Makes sense, though. I mean, it's Timothy's working an active church. And Paul goes and sees it and then basically writes this in rebuttal of what he sees. Absolutely. And if you go to 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15... He says, look, I write these things to you. I'm writing to you, hoping to come to you. So he he doesn't want to just stay in Macedonia. He wants to come to, to Timothy. But if I should be delayed, I've written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. He basically begins to give like a, a direction of how to manage the local church. So he's writing to Ephesus. Hey, guys, here's how you're going to steward the local body. I'm hoping to get there, but in case I don't, I'm going to send a letter ahead of time. So he says this in verse 3 of 1 Timothy 1. He says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you can instruct certain people not to teach other doctrine. In other words, I like what Wearsby says. He says, All right, Timothy, please just keep it simple. Teach sound doctrine. He says, or to pay attention to myths myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, the goal of our instruction is love. That comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have deviated from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. (laughs) They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they are insisting on. On, But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant, and it lists anywhere from 12 to 14 kinds of people condemned by the law. Look at this. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but here is a list. For the lawless, the rebellious. The law is meant for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers. Verse 10, it says, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And the law is meant for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching based on the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was entrusted to me. It's crazy. Paul actually focuses here just in this little list to Timothy. Kevin, where's Timothy right now? Ephesus. And what's the whole purpose of him being in Ephesus? Pastoring a church. Pastoring a church to make sure we have all this together. In all of this, I, I think this is crazy. Here you have this, I think the, it wasn't the goddess, is it? I think I have a note here. Yeah, Diana, a, a sexual, uh, a, a goddess, right? That's kind of the whole implication. So he says, hey, look, I'm going to give you five out of the 10 commandments that I want to make sure you focus on. He says, he basically talks about in this list of nine and 10, he says, hey, I want you to honor your mother and father, right? He talks about this. He then even gets into uh 
the sixth commandment, don't kill. He gets into the seventh commandment, don't commit adultery. He gets into the eighth commandment, don't steal. The ninth commandment, don't bear false witness. In, fa- in fact, he's constantly saying, hey, guys, I need you to focus on sound doctrine. <clears throat> it's kind of like, let's go back to the basics. And I love verse 11. He says, based on the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was entrusted to me. And so here he transitions from teaching sound doctrine, if I can, to then he says, all right, guys, here's what we got to do. We've got to proclaim the gospel. In verses 12 through 17. Proclaim the gospel. It talks about this. He says, look, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he's considered me faithful appointing me to the ministry. So what you're going to begin to see is uh, personal testimony. You know what I love about when you proclaim the gospel? Nobody can ever take away the fact that your life has been changed. But Paul starts off with the church of Ephesus to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, teach sound doctrine. Let's go back to the basics. But oh, by the way, as you proclaim the gospel, tell them that you've been changed. I remember Tony Hicks, we were in a little factory of like, I don't know, 10, 15 guys. They were covered in like just dark soot. Like, I don't know what the kind of work they were doing and stuff. I think it was metal fabrication. And there was a guy that saw Tony. The last time he saw Tony was in jail. Tony wasn't visiting him. Tony was in jail. And now here Tony is sharing the gospel to a guy that he met in jail. And this guy was floored. I don't know, Drew, were you there or Rich, were you there on this one? I was there. <clears throat> Wasn't that an awesome interaction? That was pretty cool. The guy, the guy was very surprised. He didn't recognize him. He didn't recognize him at all. And so here, Tony's demeanor, everything is different. Uh, and, and that's what I love about this. Look in verse 13. There's a personal testimony. Paul talks about this personal testimony in Acts 9. I think it's Acts 22 and Acts 26. And he talks about how different of a person he is. So teach sound doctrine, proclaim the gospel. Kevin? Well, Timothy's been on one or two journeys throughout the region with him, too. So it's just a reinforcement. I'm sure it wasn't the first time Timothy's hearing this. Absolutely. And look how Paul describes himself. He's like, all right, guys, here, look, I was a blasphemer. I was one who denied the deity of Christ. He says I was a persecutor. I was one who actually used physical power and force to hurt people because they believed in them. Then he says, and oh, by the way, I was an arrogant man. I was proud, insidious. I was, I was a, <laughs> I love what Wearsby says. I was a bully, he says. I was a haughty man throwing around weight because I didn't like what they believed. And so he describes the old Saul, the old way of doing things. But then praise God in verse 13, look at the glory that he gives to the Lord. He said, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So he describes the old Saul, and then he describes the new Paul. And the new Paul honestly happens because of the, the mercy, the grace, the love, and the faith. And all of this is because of the Lord. I think it's kind of classic that he describes himself as, a, as the blasphemer and the persecutor and the arrogant as the old Saul. But then look at how he describes the new Paul. 
I think for me, like when I'm out proclaiming the gospel and somebody has a hard time with what I'm sharing, that's fine. But they still can't take away the fact that I'm a different person. They still can't take away the fact that I have the Spirit of God in me and I have hope. And I think if people were to describe old Kevin, how do you think they'd describe old Kevin? Even though you grew up in a believing home, how would they describe old Kevin compared to new Kevin? Rule follower. Um, Are you not now? Well, I am, but it's different. I, I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, I think there's, you understand the spirit behind it. And it's so, not so much about the rules, but it's about love. It's good. Max, how would you describe old Max compared to new Max? Oh, Max was um, selfish and uh, liked to have a good time. Um, didn't love on people. Um, be the old Max. What's crazy is even though there's a new Max, our our nature sometimes wants to go. We want to go back to the old way of doing things, and I think every one of us does. And I think there's that tension. That is, you, you focus on the sound doctrine and you proclaim the gospel. You focus on how your life has been changed. Think about this in verse 15. Rich, did you notice I didn't go to you, by the way? This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ came in. Look what Paul says, though. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Look, I have the worst track record. Praise God, I'm the worst of them. But I'm only here because of the mercy, grace, and love and faith. He said, I receive, verse 16, mercy for this reason. Scripture says, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might, this is the best, demonstrate the utmost patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Like, I'm a greatest example because my life was so bad. He was so patient with me. Now look who I am. Because of his patience and his love for me. Now, (laughs) I've been entrusted. Now I've been enabled with the power of God. And as Wearsby says, now I'm an example for others. Hey, Timothy, as you interact with the church, would you please emphasize this? Please teach them sound doctrine. Please proclaim the gospel. And in verse 17, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And he says in verses 18 through through 20, He clearly just says, as John MacArthur explains, look, as you proclaim the gospel, please defend the faith. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. I love that phrase. If anybody's ever had a prophetic word spoken over you, I think it's okay to actually hold on to those words. I think it's okay to actually embrace those and know that it's an encouragement. It's a time of evocation. It's a time of comfort. Like, I actually am giving you this instruction because it's in alignment with the prophetic word that's been spoken over you. Like, I actually believe that it's of the Lord. Why? So that by them, you may strongly engage in battle. Defend the faith. In verse 19, it says this, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have suffered the shipwreck of their faith. It's kind of an interesting image here. (laughs) Uh, Wearsby says it was kind of like Paul went from the army image to the navy image. (laughs) And what happens? Well, Scripture says, Hymenaeus and Alexander are among them. And I've delivered them to Satan. Uh, in fact, there's been this uh, dissension within the church. There's this apostolic discipline that's being taken place so that they may be taught not to blasphemy anymore. So, like, we have some things in place. 
But here's what I want you to take away today. Timothy, I want you to take a spiritual inventory, not only in your life, but for the church of Ephesus. And what's the inventory? Are we teaching sound doctrine in the church? Are we proclaiming the gospel? And are we defending the faith? Because if we're doing these three components, I'm telling you, we can see a move of God grow rapidly back in Ephesus. And Paul's just talking to Timothy. He's not talking to the Ephesians. He's not talking to the Galatians. He's not talking to the Philippians. He's talking to his buddy that he's been co-laboring for years. Timothy, please adhere to these things. And thank you for serving as a mediator for me and the church as Christ has done that for us, the Father and humans. It's kind of a cool picture here. And so uh, I'm excited to dig into 1 Timothy. There's a lot here, a lot to learn from. And my prayer is, is you'll join us tomorrow as we unpack 1 Timothy 2.